Random Inks Productions and the Credible Nerds present the Fourth Taviran, a Wheel of Time podcast. The Wheel of Time turns, and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become legend. Legend fades to myth, and even myth is long forgotten when the age that gave it birth comes again. Let the dragon ride again on the winds of time. Welcome everyone to the 4th Tavir in a Wheel of Time podcast from your hosts, the Credible Nerds. My name is Justin, and as always, I have my fellow Taviran with me, Mark. Hey guys, how's it going? This is episode 6 of the 4th Tavir in a Wheel of Time podcast, and we are covering chapters 27 through 32 from Eye of the World, which is book 1 in the Wheel of Time epic fantasy series by Robert Jordan. We want to thank you guys for joining us. Uh, I know the Will Weaves is the Will Wills. And hopefully that means that you're supposed to be here listening to our podcast. We want to thank you for that. First off, we're going to start talking about uh, some latest Wheel of Time news. Uh, Over the past couple of weeks, there's been some title reveals on the Amazon series. Episode three was revealed uh, recently, and it's called A Place of Safety. And it's written by Paul and Michael Clarkson. There's been some speculation about what that exactly means at least on our part. I know that's been on our part and I've seen a little bit online. And just to recap, episode one is called Leave Taking and episode two is Shadows Waiting. In this title, A Place of Safety for episode three, there's a chapter in The Wheel of Time, chapter eight, it's titled A Place of Safety. But in the book, chapter 19 is titled Shadows Waiting and episode one is Leave Taking, which is chapter 10. So both of the previous TV episodes, if you were to just go by the titles in the the book, are both after the title of A Place of Safety, which is chapter eight. So I don't think they're going off uh, necessarily the chapter titles in the book. I think they're mixing it up a little bit. What, what are your thoughts on that, Mark? Well, if I remember right, they did say they might not go, go chronologically, right? Like uh, as far as the book goes, because a lot of the events in the book, right, you'll read to a certain event, like a certain time, and then you'll kind of hop back and talk about some other characters and then catch up, right? So uh, it's kind of like if you've read the Game of Thrones, right? I, I know a lot of people have seen it, but if you actually read the book, it's a lot like that, where you're reading about a character for so long, you could be reading about it for a couple weeks. And then when you talk about someone else, they don't just skip that couple weeks. Time actually kind of goes backwards. So I think that's what's going on is that the, they've had to, you know, they're going to do an episode about, uh, you know, these certain people doing their things up to white bridge or whatever it is. Right. And then you have to go back and catch Perrin and uh, Eggween up, right. Because they're in a completely different area dealing with different things uh, as opposed to kind of switching back and forth during the show. I'm not sure which way would be better, but that's what I think they're doing is that they're going to focus on a particular group of people for a while. Then they're going to have to do another episode and catch, catch the other group up, which I, I don't know. I think I, I think it has its merits because you can you can tell the story better, right? You have a better, a longer time to uh, make the story, you know, congeal better and run more smoothly. Do a lot of backstory because there's a lot to it. Uh, but I think it's bad because uh, then people, you know, 
start getting their favorite characters. They really want to know what's going to happen to these people. Now I've got to wait two weeks to see what happens as opposed to one, right? Yeah. And that happened to me in the books. Like it, Robert Jordan would do a storyline that's, you know, three, four chapters, maybe longer. And then he, you know, there's a cliffhanger or something and he jumps to another character and their storyline. You got to wait five, six more chapters to get back to the one you were just reading. And that always drove me crazy, but that's just good writing. So, well, it's not like the chapters were small. I remember that happening too. And I would just be like, okay, I've got to read for three straight hours and then I can <laughs> back to Rand, right? Or whatever it was. So, uh, I mean, like you said, maybe that's just great writing because I want to read about that character so much. And then it would suck because I want to get back to whoever so bad. And by the time I finally get back to him, I don't want to read about him. I want to read about yeah. the guys I've been reading about. And then so, you got sucked into this new storyline. You're like, hey. Well, I yep. guess I'm back to Rand, so I'll, yeah, I'll keep reading. Yep, and so I, I found myself a lot a lot of time looking at the clock, and it's like 4 a.m., and I work at 7. Yeah. The worst. So anyway, back to the chapter titles. Uh, I think I think that's true what you're saying. Um, to some degree, I think we'll see that. But in chapter 29, you jump back to Perrin and Egwene and Elias and the wolves. They're running from the crows. Elias says that he knows of a safe place and they enter the steading and Elias says it's safety because I, I think Egwene's like, what is this? I feel different. And Elias says it's safety. So I think that's tied into it somehow, a place of safety, a steading. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that because, you know, and just the way when you read it and they make it sound, it sounds, you know, just like a break from the world. Yeah. So we'll cover that in today's episode in chapter 29. We'll talk about a steading, what that is, and why it would be considered a safe place. So that's episode three. And then Rafe Judkins, he personally released on his Twitter account the next episode of episode four called The Dragon Reborn. And that's written by Dave Hill. It's also interesting to note in this picture, so the, the script is sitting on a silver platter with three candles that are lit. So I don't know if there's any significance there. Maybe it's the three Taviran. The candles represent the three Taviran. I don't know. The most intriguing thing is that it kind of bleeds through on the script. There's some text that if you manipulate the photo and do all these things with it, there's a, a bleed through from a, another page. Either it's the page underneath or it was from printing another page from the printer. It says episode six. There's the wheel of time symbol and you can't really see what those words are. And then the last three words that you can see are of Tarvalon. So maybe they're speculating it's the flame of Tarvalon. There just really isn't any official announcement yet. But so that's been the talk over the past week is, you know, what does this mean? And by the time we get to our next episode on our show, uh, we'll probably know. So stay tuned for that title announcement. That's where we're at. It's neat that they the, they have already got you know chapter six down makes me happy that they're kind of powering through it and getting getting it down right yes and then the episode four title is the dragon reborn Ugh. so what does that mean i mean we don't know i mean Rand doesn't declare himself dragon the dragon reborn until a couple books later i mean there's speculation that he is he doesn't want to accept it and all that but here we are, the Dragon Reborn. So is, is that like one of Tom or Moraine's stories about the Dragon Reborn that they're telling him? Or, you know, what is that? Why is this uh, episode titled The Dragon Reborn? Maybe it's a dream, right? One of the dreams and where, uh, what do we know him as right now? <laughs> uh, where ba Balsman kind of releases more information about, about uh, who Lucerne Telemann is. 
uh, you know, kind of his destiny and stuff. Uh, my thoughts, I kind of thought about how uh, when Rand goes to Camelin and meets up with Queen Morghese, a light is there. And here's some minor spoilers. So if you're uh, trying to avoid spoilers, skip over the next few minutes, a couple minutes. But he, he meets up with Elida, and, who's an Aes Sedai, and she has a foretelling, like a prophecy. And that's one of her talents that she's able to do. And she does a foretelling on Rand that there will be a lot of destruction and chaos. And this man, Rand, is at the heart of it. So he doesn't outright say he's the Dragon Reborn, but he says that he's going to be involved in a lot of changes, which is the Dragon Reborn. So that's kind of a, a roundabout way to say it to introduce the dragon reborn. So I don't know if that's actually what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good um, point. I'm not sure. I, you know, what would be kind of cool and I don't know how they would do this, but it would be kind of cool. And I don't know if I'm giving anything away. So forgive me if I am, but if they did do that, like you said, where a lady is having the foretelling and at the same time, kind of like did a, like a shadow, like flashback, during the foretelling and show the original foretelling Moraine witnessed mm, yeah. from the new, from new spring and kind of like, as she's doing the foretelling, like do a flashback, you know, like lightning 19 years earlier, however long it was. Right. And then show, show a line from her and then back and forth. I think that would be neat. They could show the birth of Rand on dragon Mount. Yeah. Just something, you know what I mean? And then like, uh, you know, zero in or something like, I don't know, you know how it would, work but i just think something like that would be really neat uh you know as far as bringing the story together to show that it's not just a light up someone from the show is listening um just send me a message i'm free to be hired yeah you got some good (laughs) ideas uh so yeah we'll we'll find out i'm sure by the next episode we'll get some more titles maybe some more speculation or confirmation of what what's going on in the timeline i think as we get future episode titles we'll be able to uh, determine where we're at with the dragon reborn where that fits in the timeline we can perhaps speculate a little better on what's going on in that episode so do you think they're just gonna do one season for one book do you think they'll bleed over somewhere like you know one and a half books per season or something yeah i think because in this book there's a lot of traveling walking and riding horses and going through the ways and you, you don't need more than one episode for the ways if that right and that's how many pages in the book so i think mm-hmm. in those parts they'll just fast forward flash forward a lot and move the story along and so you could be in the borderlands by episode seven hmm. yeah and if there's 10 or 12 episodes i mean you got to move into the great hunt yeah Dang, I want to I, I want to give my prediction where it might end, but I, I'll give some stuff away. So I'll skip that. But yeah, that's a good point. So well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Obviously, they're going to release more and more information as it gets close. And um, I predict this will be 10 times the show Game of Thrones was. You heard it here first. All right. Um, so we also did a poll on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter, Credible Nerds. In our poll, we put up in our latest podcast, we brought up and discussed what the Wheel of Time writer's room should be called by fans. Because we talked about how Brandon Sanderson visited the writer's room and we thought that it should have a name. So we put a poll out there for four options because you only can do four options on Twitter. One was the Stone of Tear. Second was Tower of Genji. Third, Black Tower. Fourth, Tarvalon. Then I also put, uh, if you have another option, comment in the comments. And so that's what I wanted to talk a little bit about as well. That We had some great comments from a lot of Wheel of Time fans and want to give a shout out to them. 
But for the original poll, the Tower of Genji won with 68%. Uh, Stone of Tear was second with 14%. Black Tower was 8%. Tarvalin was 10%. Total of 80 votes. So not a lot, but pretty good sample. Um, well, I voted initially for, I think it was a Stone of Tear, but um, I like Tower of Genji. That's good. Uh-huh. But some of the comments that were given were <laughs> there's a guy or a person a handle called Asmodian's killer I killed Asmodian uh, he says none of the none of the above I'd like to submit for the winning nomination the following name the pantry <laughs> hashtag you're welcome <laughs> I thought it was pretty clever uh, uh, if you're a first time reader you have no idea what that means but you will <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it's pretty amazing it's pretty uh, pretty witty is really yeah. what it was yeah. so then Moradin the, uh, the handle Ronin Comics at Ronin Comics. He says, I'm going with the boar as things are not capable of being done in reality are being done in that room. It's good. It's a good one. Uh-huh. Uh, a guy named Earl Mandwich, Mangwich. He says, I'd call mine the ruffled goose as in in brings a diverse group of travelers to its pub to revel and argue, but always share stories. Besides Dumai's Wells or the Pit of Doom would not imply the same bright and collaborative spirit. So yeah, definitely not Dumai's Wells or Pit of Doom. But I like the idea of an inn, the name of an inn. As there's always, that's always, that's a constant throughout the story is they go to an inn and rest and some cool things happen in the inns. A lot of good stories. Uh, I think my favorite uh, was from at Sarah Curly Whirly. Uh-huh. Uh, she said, he, she, I'm not sure. He said, she said, I think the 13th depository is perfect where all the secrets are held. And I actually really liked that because the 13th depository is something that's just kind of mentioned, but no one really knows what's going on in there. No one knows what's in there except for a few people. Right. And uh, so I really like that because it seemed like it's super secretive, just like, you know, that room would be because nothing's coming. You know, they're not going to. Uh, Narg at the Daily Trolloc says, Teleron Reoid. The Dream World. Geek Yuri says The Great Stump, which the, is an Ogier reference. My response to that was, I like it, but I want a Wheel of Time show this century. <laughs> Us humans don't live as long as the Ogier. <laughs> Al Lon Mandragoran, at Malkir's King. He suggested The Hall of the Servants. Which I like that one too. Mm-hmm. Hall of the Servants, uh, for those that don't know, that's what uh, it was called back in the Age of Legends when the towers were combined. So when it was all male and female Aes Sedai in one tower, uh, that that's just what it was called. Two Rivers Badgers suggested easing the badger or the badger den. I think it's a little biased, but uh, I like it. Oh, I got to do this too. I, I know this is out of context what we're talking about, but uh, there is a place down the road from where I work and it's called Two Rivers Learning Center or something like that. And I need to take a picture oh, yeah. as, pro- as proof that uh, we are in part of the Wheel of Time and the Two Rivers legend still exists. And <laughs> it was in the Salt Lake area. <laughs> yeah, go get a picture there. <laughs> Two Rivers proof proof yeah. that we're in the seventh age. So yeah, those are, those are the main comments. A lot of good ones. Uh, we didn't get any feedback from Rafe Judkins or any of the other writers, unfortunately. But uh, Hopefully, I think it's a good idea. They should name the writer's room. That'd be cool. Yeah, that'd be neat. And if they if they use one of those names on this, we, we will be collecting rights. <laughs> Not really, but <laughs> it would be cool. Be some cred, though. Some nerd cred. <laughs> 
anyway, so that's our latest Wheel of Time news as far as this episode goes. seems like there's always something coming out every week, so we'll definitely address uh, the latest rumors and confirmations and all that in our next episode. So stay tuned for that. So moving into the chapter reviews, this is, uh, we try to keep it mostly spoiler free. Some minor spoilers may slip out here and there, but we try to keep it spoiler free for those that haven't read the the series yet or haven't read it in a long time and forgotten stuff. And then after the, the chapters review, this time we'll be covering the White Cloaks, we're talking about the White Cloaks, what their organization is and what they're all about and how they relate to the overall Wheel of Time story. So that's where we're going today. Chapter 27 is Shelter from the Storm. And the chapter icon is Three Leaves on a Branch. And the point of view this time is Perrin. And the Three Leaves on a Branch, that's uh, the Tuathon symbol, the Way of the Leaf, I believe. Mm-hmm. And they're still traveling through this uninhabited area that's north of Andor. I always thought that was pretty cool that there was this huge area where no one lived. And there was all these you know, old statues and broken down monuments and things like that. That always intrigued me, but they never really do anything up there. I think this is the most we get into that area is in these chapters. But so Perrin and Egwene are still with the traveling people. They're going along. They, they're camping and resting with the Tuathon. Um, they're having a good time at nights. There there's music and dancing. Uh, Perrin's embarrassed because there's some pretty um, risque dances that he's witnessing and he blushes the first night. And this, the girls uh, that are dancing, they see that. And so they embarrass him even more by dancing it every night. And they try to get him to, to dance as well. But he's too embarrassed to do it. And then eventually Egwene decides, well, she's going to learn how to do it, which makes it even worse for Perrin as he has to watch it. And he just gets embarrassed and red faced. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's a common, uh, common theme with all the, Two River Boys, really. But uh, no, it's just kind of funny. It, it's a funny little uh, read there because, I mean, you can feel his awkwardness. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of bleeds out as you're reading it. You're like, oh, man, I feel for this guy because we've all been there. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the, the big thing. This and then uh, there's another dream with Perrin. He goes to, he dreams he's in the Two Rivers, but this time he's with a wolf. A wolf is, uh, is with him. And Balsamon shows up and um, basically tells him the wolves aren't going to protect you. And he kills the wolf. And so Perrin wakes up all nervous or like sweating and a nightmare. And Elias is there and he's like, okay, we got to go. So they end up getting ready to go and they leave. They leave the Tuathalon. And that's the gist of this chapter. Did you have any input or insight on, on this one, Mark? No, uh, you know, you know, pretty much uh straightforward i think it's interesting i think one thing i noted as i did a reread is that uh you know balsaman is aware of the wolves like he's dealt with this dealt with this before mm-hmm. and uh while he cl- killed this one wolf i think at the same time he understands the danger that the wolves rep- represent to him yeah and this is the first time we see perrin and the wolves in the dream world I don't, is this Teleron Rioid that he's in, or is it just normal dreams? I think it's Tele Aaron Rioid. Rioid. How do you say it? Rioid. Rioid. Uh, I, don't know. <laughs> I just get, I just make it up. T A R. Um. You know. So they're they're. In the, I think it's in there, and he gets because it talks about. Uh. You know, and they talk about it more later in depth. They talk about that anybody can get drawn in in a dream, whether they want to or not. You know, just accidentally, whether they're nightmares or happy dreams or you know. People will touch it intermittently, um, but it sounds like the wolves uh, uh, 
you know, the, the people with the wolves and stuff that they are more drawn to it. So they can literally enter whenever they want, you know, they just take a little cat nap. There I go. And uh, so I think here you see a lot of it where he, he's getting drawn in because he doesn't know how to control it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's good. And so I, I think that it's, it's definitely there. Yeah. And it's interesting, we're not going to go more with this statement, but I think it's interesting that it's Perrin and Egwene who are together at this point when he is having these dreams. Oh, dang. A little foreshadowing <laughs> is all I'm going to say. We'll continue on. <laughs> yeah. uh, chapter 28, Footprints in Air. Uh, the chapter icon is a staff, which is typically Moraine. Uh, point of view is Nynaeve, and they are in Whitebridge. We got Nynaeve, Moraine, and Lan as the main characters of this chapter. So last time we saw Moraine and Lan and Nynaeve, they were heading towards a white bridge to, you know, to find uh, Matt and Rand because they didn't have their, they had lost their coins, which were the tokens that Moraine had given the boys to track them. So they enter white bridge. They see that there's been some, some trouble that had happened. They hear about Rand, Matt and Tom that they had been through. Um, there's some burned houses. So she, Maureen starts asking questions, find out, finds out a little bit about what happened. She goes to that same inn where Rand, Matt, and Tom had been, and they get some information that, and Land kind of feels that there's been a, a murder all that had been around. And so they decide, well, it sounds like Rand and Matt and Tom escaped and they're on their way to Camelin, but we don't know where or what's happening with Perrin. We know he's out north of here somewhere. So they decide, to head back and go look for Perrin first and get him. And Nynaeve wants to know what, you know, what are we going to do about Edwin? How are we going to go find her? But Moraine makes it, you know, her priority is she's only going to look for the boys and then Edwin if she can. If they run into her or gather some information, then then maybe, right? So this is kind of second, Edwin is the second option. Mm-hmm. So that's the gist of that chapter. Um, not much else happens, really. Well, and it's interesting after you finish the book when you think about it that you know the the pattern puts things in right places to you know Taverin and stuff like that to fix the the wheel, right? Basically, yeah. the weave gets off balance and it fixes the wheel. So it's interesting to know that Egwin is with Perrin, meaning had she not been, she may have well have been left behind and. Uh, you know, as you finish his book, you're going to find out just how important she is to this, to the entire story. Yeah. And that I think that the wheel knew that, hey, you know, she has to make it. And so it puts her with this tavern where she can kind of get drug along for a while. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Egwene's vital to the story later. So they decided to go back and find Perrin. Chapter 29, Eyes Without Pity. Now, this was a, a nerve wracking chapter for me a lot of anxiety in reading this one uh the chapter icon is a wolf which is usually associated with parent and point of view is parent and again they're out on the plains and andor trying to survive we got elias parent and egwene so it bounces back to them and they've left the tuathwan they're traveling and they see um these crows these ravens so the wolves are with them and they use the wolves. I always thought this was pretty cool. They use the wolves as their eyes because Perrin and Elias can see through the wolves' eyes to find out, you know, what's out there. So they send the wolves to scout and find out where the, the ravens are. And then when the ravens move on to the next, because they're flying from one grove of trees to another grove of trees, and they're looking for something. And Elias picks up that they're looking for them. So he, they're hiding in the, 
and the grass laying low. And then when the ravens uh, move on, they hurry and run up and catch up to them and lay low again. So there's, they're following the ravens as the ravens look for them. But uh, obviously at some point, one of the ravens sees them. And so they have to, to run. And also the, the wolves get attacked by the ravens at, at some point. Mm-hmm. And uh, Perrin sees and feels what's going on. Don't they kill a fox too? Yeah. Like there's a fox or something and then they just descend on it, right? And just like eat it in no time, like 10 seconds, it's gone. Yeah, they just totally uh, ravage it and leave it for dead. It was pretty brutal. So, yeah, like it's like the birds all over again. Like yeah, yeah Alfred Hitchcock could have known. Yeah. So that gives us the, the, the perspective of how dangerous the ravens really are because there's just hundreds of them, if not more. There's this big murder of ravens or murder of crows. I don't know what ravens are called. Maybe they're a murder to the group. But um, yeah, so they have to they have to find a place of safety. Uh, so they eventually make it to a, Elias says he knows a, a safe place, which we hinted at earlier in the, this episode. And they make it to this grove of trees at the last minute. Uh, and as they go into this grove of trees, this is important. Perrin feels a chill go through him as they enter this grove of trees. Egwene makes a comment that she feels different as well. Uh, they enter it, and Elias tells them that it's a steading. And the steading is the home of the Ogier, which are some mythical creatures, and that uh, the ravens and eyes of the Dark One and his followers can't enter, so they're safe. I thought it was interesting that Perrin felt a chill go through him. Is that anyone who enters? I know normal humans enter a steading later. And do they feel a chill, or is, is was it just Perrin and others? Remember? Yeah, that's a good question. So I'm not sure. I can't remember. Maybe you can. Can he still sense the wolves in the steading or no? Mm, yeah, Does I, don't it know. I, I don't know if it says. So I would think that if that's the case, then that was his him losing connection to the wolves, right? Like something's changed, kind of like Egwene. You know, she loses her connection to Sadar and, uh, you know, just like a male would lose connection to Satan. And so they, they, they feel that loss, whether it's a chill or whatever it is. So I wonder if that's it. And if it's not, I wonder if he's like a male wilder. Yeah. Because remember, he gets really sick and uh, he Baron sick does. In yeah, and he gets really sick, right? Like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die sick. And then he just kind of recovers all of a sudden. And yeah. so, which would kind of follow the line that uh, of thinking of where the women go through the same thing, right? When they become wilders, they get really sick and they might die. And then their body either adjusts or it doesn't. Yeah. So yeah. I would say if the only reason he would feel that is A, he was cut off from wolves or B, he was a wilder. And they just, and that was the only hint of, of that being so. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So they, they're able to rest there. There's the remains of a, this huge statue that's you know really old. Uh, and Elias tells them that's the statue of Arthur Hawkwing, which is a king, an ancient king that we'll talk about more later. Uh, he's a pretty important guy in the story, even though he's thousands of years dead. Uh, so he, that's his statue and they rest. And that's the end of that chapter. Chapter 30, Children of Shadow. And uh, the chapter icon is a sunburst which is affiliated with the Children of the Lights or the White Cloaks. Point of view is Perrin again, and the setting is they're there in the setting still. And we got Elias, Perrin, Egwene, Hopper, one of the wolves. We're introduced to Jeffrem Bornald and Bayer, who's also a White Cloak. So in this chapter, they're there resting, and Perrin gets a kind of a, a message or a, a feeling from the wolves that there's some people coming on horses. They hurry and douse the fire, put it out, and uh, they try to hide. 
And then all of a sudden, these people show up, the white cloaks, the children of the light show up. The, the wolves are chased by the white cloaks, and they eventually find their way to the, to the resting spot that they were at. And the white cloaks find Egwene and Perrin, who had gotten separated from Elias. And they're about to surrender to the white cloaks when Hopper, one of the wolves, jumps out and attacks one of the white cloaks, and they kill Hopper. And Perrin feels the wolf die, and he goes into a rage and starts fighting and but he ends up getting knocked unconscious and him and Egwene are captured by the children of the light yeah yeah i mean that's essentially what happened right i mean exactly they're trying to take uh refuge the uh white cloaks show up and i don't know how they knew they were there did they they saw the horses or something like that right and mm. uh and then kind of followed the trail and and ended up seeing because they were like they had climbed up on a hand or something yeah and like hey get down here we know you're up there and uh and so that's kind of when it, when it all happened and um i think right about the time hopper jumped out all the wolves were attacking the children right and it doesn't really say i don't think that it really like we find out that Perrin killed some white cloaks, but he doesn't remember it. He just went into this fit of rage, kind of like you know barbarian style, and just started killing people. <laughs> he just went great, like saw the blood, you know, bloodlust or whatever it is. And uh, well, they are taken to the Lord Captain Commander, Child Bayar, who's one of the white cloaks, one of the soldier, takes him to the Lord Captain Commander, who is Jeffrey Bornald, and they question him and. Egwene. He, he's just a Lord Captain. Isn't that like the, the big leader? No, the Lord Captain Commander's the big leader. And the Lord Captain is like the, uh, uh, is Bornhold. Bornhold is Lord Captain Bornhold. And okay. Lord Captain Commander is their, their overall leader. Okay. So I'm a little fuzzy on these um, rank distinctions, which is good because we're going to talk about them here in a little bit. So Jeffrey Bornhold uh, questions them, says, hey, you guys are dark friends, which is their MO. I mean, they automatically assume everyone's a dark friend. And so they try to uh, tell their story to Bornhold. He doesn't believe them. He says, okay, you guys are going with us to Amador, which is their headquarters, the country of Amador, and we're going to interrogate you. The questioners are going to do their thing. And there's only one penalty for dark friends and that's death. Yep. Well, he said, he tells Egwene, like Egwene may, may turn to the light and she may find forgiveness, but because, but because Perrin killed some children that they will definitely die, that he will definitely die no matter what, but he can find comfort in finding the light again. You know, he's basically a fanatic, yeah. right? A zealot of the faith. And that's why I say, you know, when you think of the children of the light, you need to think of uh, the crusaders at their craziest, right? <laughs> uh, that's just how I see it. And I'm, and I'm quite positive that's how uh, Jordan meant it for it to be. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. So then chapter 31 is titled Play for Your Supper. And a chapter icon is a sword. Point of view is Rand. And they are on the Camelin Road, the road to Camelin from Whitebridge. Um, characters are Rand and Matt. And then there's a family called the Grinwells and a traveler named Easel Forney. So they are, they've left Whitebridge. They're sleeping in hedges on, on the side of the road. They're hiding whenever they see uh, patrols or a group of people. So they're outside sleeping at night. They don't have a lot of money, so they're cold and hungry. Um, you see that Matt has the dagger still, and it has a, a ruby in the hilt of the dagger. And at one point, Rand says, hey, we could sell that and get some money. And 
Matt freaks out and says, no, we're not doing that. So he's starting to get more under the control of, of this dagger from Shadar Logoth. Mm-hmm. They're able to, you know, talk to farmers along the way and say, hey, we'll work for you. We'll do some chores for you if you'll give us some food and a place to sleep in the barn or wherever. So they, they do that for a while. Eventually, they arrive at the Grim, Grinwell's farm. And Master Grinwell has nine kids. And he lets them do some work. And he's an honest guy. But his eldest daughter, Elsie, he, she's a, a little flirt. She's a country girl, not a lot of guys around, I guess. So Rand and Matt show up. They're good looking, supposedly, from what we gather. And she's flirting with Rand. Rand's like, oh, she's cute. But she doesn't, he doesn't want to get too involved because he's afraid of what uh, Master Grinwell will do. And they're traveling through is all. So after they eat, though, that night, Matt and Rand, they come up with this thing where they play the flute and juggle and entertain to pay for their stay, pay for their food and, and lodging. And Master Grinwell says, hey, you should do this at inns. That way you can you know, stay at nice places and get some good food. Mm-hmm. I think this is the first time they do that, mm-hmm. or at least for their pay. Yeah, because Tom had taught them on the, uh, uh, when they were on the ship on the way over. I for, yeah, I forgot this is the first time they did that. And it, apparently they were good enough to be, to be awesome, uh, you know, to, to entertain people. And I always think, like, what a boring time that would be. That you know, you have to hear people play music to be entertained or something. They they leave the next day, and not Mistress Grinwell, the the wife, is happy to see them leave, so she can not worry about Elsie anymore for now. Anyway, so they they make it to the next village, and this is when they start juggling and playing the flute and things like that. And they get their room and a hot meal for their efforts. The next day, they hook up with Easel Fournay. And he gives them a ride in his wagon and they end up traveling that way until they arrive to Four Kings, which is several days away. It's the next big town. That's the end of that chapter. Really, this chapter is only important for a couple reasons, I think. One, it kind of leads to what they're going to do, right, as they play in the future, kind of opens the door to that. And then two, I think it shows, as we'll see later with Elsie. Do you say Elsie? Is it Elsie Grimwell? I say Elts. (laughs) Oh, I say Elsie. So uh, who knows what it is, uh, but Elsie Grinwell, uh, we see her actually later and we see like the starts of the pole of Taverin is really what it is. Yeah. And so, but not too, not too much. It's kind of a weird chapter. Just throw, you you think it's thrown in there, but it has a little bit of significance later. Chapter 32, Four Kings in Shadow. And this is again, Rand and Matt traveling. Uh, The chapter icon is Dragon's Fang which is the dark half of the Aes Sedai symbol. And that's typically associated with uh, dark friends. The point of view is Rand and they are, they make it to the four Kings. As they get there, they see that it's a little, little more um, rougher or it's not as nice as the previous towns. So, but they end up staying at uh, this inn called the Dancing Cartman. They do their juggling and playing the flute there's this guy there who's staring at him and matt thinks he's gonna rob him so they're a little freaked out by that um there's another guy a velvet clad man and they're giving him dirty looks as they perform so they go to the kitchen and there's this they see this carriage out back uh howell goad howell goad is from Whitebridge, and they wonder if he's a dark friend then the guy who was staring at him earlier hake he enters the kitchen and tells him to start um performing again hake is uh he's the innkeeper right and he's pretty he's pretty shady yeah because rand was talking like this guy's he's gonna try, probably try to rob us or something you could tell like he was greedy in the eyes or something yeah that's right <laughs> yeah i remember that so they're it's a sketchy place and eventually everyone leaves 
and Hake says, hey, you guys are going to sleep over here in the back. But they they close the door and they, they block it off so no one will come in. But then they look at the windows and there's iron bars on the windows. And they're like, oh, that's, that's weird. And then Howell Goad is trying to come in. He's like shaking the door and says, hey, you guys need to submit yourselves to the great Lord of the Dark. <laughs> so they, they're freaking out. They're trapped. They realize they've been suckered in. Uh, the rich guy who ends up being Howell Goad has been looking for them and knows who they are to some degree. And so they're scared and Howell Goat and his men are going to break into the room. And this is, this is an important part next. Suddenly, all of a sudden, there's this big lightning flash and this boom of thunder. And it's the lightning strikes where they're at and just blows this hole in the wall where the window was. They hurry and run out. Matt's blinded by the lightning so he can't see. But Rand sees all the bodies of Goad and his men just laying around dead from this lightning strike. So they hear and run off into the night and escape. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk more about what that was later. Yeah. No, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool chapter. Uh, it kind of draws you in with how it builds, yeah. uh, especially as they're trying to get in the door, right? Because they're trying to block the door from coming in. You got these two like monsters of men trying to knock it down, trying to get in and, uh, Matt and Rand are like just freaking out, you know, like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Oh, uh, there's some cool, um, you know, cool back and forth uh, in this. I think one of my favorite uh, is after the lightning and Rand's like, what happened, Matt? Matt, Matt, what happened? And then Matt, uh, Matt says, lightning, Rand. I was looking right at the window when it hit the bars. Like, and, uh, you know, just, you know, dot, dot, dot fades off. And it's pretty cool because I think this is the first time we really see anything of like this. Yeah. Uh, from any of these guys, right? Yeah. It, it's pretty neat. Uh, it really gets things moving as far as that storyline goes. And, and you'll you, you'll run into more of this, you know, in the next chapter. So don't uh, don't fret. We'll talk more about it. Uh, but it, very important chapter for a lot of reasons. Yeah, so a lot of traveling, but there's nuggets of information like we talked about in the last chapter with the Grinwalls and with Matt or with Perrin and Egwene. And, uh, but it's a lot of good information. Chapters flow pretty good. Uh, then we get to this part where the lightning strikes the, the window and they're able to escape. A lot of good information in these chapters. Mm-hmm. All right. So like I said earlier, we want to talk about the White Cloaks, the Children of the Light, and what their deal is, uh, what their organization is, and that sort of thing. So the, the Children of the Light were founded during the War of the Hundred Years. Mm-hmm. Their first leader was Lofer Mantalar. Kind of some backstory. Sorry. For me, I like backstory. So the War of the Hundred Years, what that was is after Hawkwing died, um, I think the war was like actually like 112 years or something like 123 years. I, I don't remember the exact time, but it was a long time. And what happened is Hawkwing had this great nation, right? The entire uh, area was controlled under one nation and he died and he didn't really have a set heir. And so basically chaos ensued and there. There's a, this hundred year war of all these people trying to gain control of nations and take control, et cetera, et cetera. So during that time, there was a lot of uh, turmoil going through with dark friends, uh, you know, dark friends everywhere trying to get control, you know, th- from this power vacuum. And so that's where Lothar Mantelar came in and he originally started like more as like a proselyting priest, right? Like, uh, just kind of like, look, we got to start dark friends, you know, welcome to the light. Here's some scriptures. But you know what I mean? He, he started just basically preaching his gospel and his gospel was, you know, coming to the light, basically. I mean, 
pretty much you know what you would think proselyting is yeah so they start off as like a a priesthood a group of priests that are proselytizing to spread the light and get rid of dark friends then it evolves slowly into a military force i think that's a sign of the times you know the war of the hundred years or actually no it's during the war of the hundred years so and that was kind of their their culture. They were in this war, so they had to do something. So they end up wearing armor and carrying swords and helmets and things like that. But they always had a white cloak on in their their um, tabard, I guess you could say. Their cloaks and their tabards are they had a, a golden sun on them. So that was their symbol, the golden sun. Um, and then they developed uh, different officers and uh, different factions within the Children of the Light. There was the the Hand of the Light, which was the High Inquisitor. And he ranks only below the Lord Captain Commander. And the Inquisitors, the High Inquisitor and the Inquisitors, they go around and they question people. They're nicknamed the Questioners. And this is what they're threatening to take Perrin to, is these guys. They basically torture people until they admit that they're dark friends and then they kill them. So no mm-hmm. one wants to talk to the questioners or get involved with them at all. Yeah, they are They are the fanatics of the fanatics. They determine uh, what is good and what's bad. And Breyer comments on this, right? He, bas- he basically says, like, they will get whatever they want to get out of you. If they've deemed you guilty, you're guilty before you've ever even admitted you're guilty. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, they are like the, they are like the red Aja, but... Yeah in the children of the light. Uh, and I mean, they're pretty much the same thing, really. I mean, they're just super crazy. They're going to do what they're going to do regardless. And they stand apart really from the, uh, the main children of the light. They, you know, as far as command structure goes, um, the, the head of, of the questioners is really just like a half step down from uh, the Lord Captain Commander as far as power goes. Yeah. So then they have their, they also have a spy network, which most or these organizations do. Um, and then the, the main group is the, the children of the light is a cavalry unit. They, they operate it within mounted cavalry, usually in about groups of a hundred and each uh, group of a hundred is commanded by a Lord captain. And that's the highest rank next to or the highest ranked among the sold, the soldiers. And they, they will actually, they command a legion, which is, 2,000 people. And under the Lord Captain, there's Senior Lieutenant, Lieutenant, and Under Lieutenant. And under the Under Lieutenant is the 100 men. And they're the ones that control the 100 soldiers. Mm-hmm. It's not an exact number of 100. So they're pretty organized. You know, they got a structure, a lot of discipline, um, things you'd expect from a military unit. So under the 100 men are Bannermen, and Second Bannermen, and then Squadmen, Second Squadmen. So they, you know, they got it all figured out. But at the very top is the Lord Captain Commander, which in our story is... Pedro Nile. Pedro Nile, that's right. We haven't met him yet. Uh, if you're listening to this and you uh, haven't read it, we haven't met him yet. But if you've read it, you know who he is. He's considered a great captain of his time. Uh, so he's one of the best strategic minds out there. He's very well regarded for his prowess on the battlefield. He's been captain commander for, I think they said over 40 years at this time. So, I mean, he's been around. He knows what he's about, very respected, and uh, and he knows the power he wields, and he uses it quite well. And uh, a lot of people fear him for, for what he what he can do also because he seems to know things he, he's got a great spy network underneath him and i mean he 
he leads with with a hammer fit you know like an iron fist basically yeah and it's interesting it took me a while to figure this out in reading the story but um so the the main like the castle of the white cloaks is in amador um Mm -hmm. the country of amador and the capital city of amador is amadicia and so that's where their headquarters are but the interesting thing is they're not part of any country or you know they have no allegiance to anyone but themselves so they can go anywhere they feel like they can go anywhere any city any country any organization and just come in do what they want basically mm-hmm. and uh, they there's no one to oversee them or command them or boss them around outside of the lord captain commander i always thought that was interesting mm-hmm. well and they use the guise of you know well if you don't let us in it must mean mean because you're you're hiding you're a dark friend and you're hiding yeah, your dark you're dark friends right? And it's it's totally like I said, fanatics, right? That that would say that you know, if you don't let me do whatever I want to do, it's because you you're evil, you know. And uh, and so they're they're just crazy how they go. And what's even more crazy is that countries allow them to do this, right? Countries are just allow them to come in and and you know, kind of push its people around and cause trouble and things because everywhere you go. In every country, they always talk about, oh, great, white cloaks. These guys are like yeah. jerks and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, you guys are your own countries. Why don't you just close your stinking borders and say you come here again? You know, And I guess I, in the end, it would probably be because the children of light is, is really a force to be reckoned with. They are very, very well-trained soldiers. They have a lot lot of people. I mean, I you know, each banner or each Lord Captain is 2,000 men, and I think there's like at least 10 lord captains i I, i'm not even sure right and so they they control quite a large force and so i i just assume that the countries are just like they're strong enough i just don't want to i don't really want to mess with them but not big enough that i want to put a whole lot of effort to stopping it yeah yeah i always wonder that too why don't they just fight them but i guess that could be a drain of resources and I I always wondered what the benefit of the white cloaks were. Like, what do they do to allow kings and queens to allow them in their cities and country? What, like, what do they get out of it, really? I, I think it's just power, right? Like, uh, they have a lot of influence. I mean, that's how they took over Amadecia and Amador, right? Is just through influence. Yeah. In the area, and they've expanded their their uh, lands quite a bit under Pedro Nile uh, through, you know, through his influence and things like that. Um, I almost think it's like a sense of entitlement too, right? I mean, look at some of the like buyer, look at, you know, child buyer, look at some of the other uh, officers, how they are just like, you know, they act so far above everybody and that everybody owes them like, I can get housing wherever I want because I'm a child of the light. And, you know, like it's like this self-righteousness in them you know i think it's just like kind of bred into them and i and i've often wondered when you're dealing with the children like when it says children of the shadow right that uh um that title you know for the chapter we covered and i think it it has a good point that they are at at the core the the you know what what the soul of the children of the light you know kind of what drives them is a good thing 
but they've allowed it to corrupt them to be a bad thing, right? Because they determine what's good and what's bad. They determine what's a dark friend and what's not a dark friend. So if you get someone like child buyer that's making that decision, well, everybody's a dark friend. Everyone that doesn't agree with them is now a dark friend. And if you get somebody that's a little bit more understanding like Bornhold, you're okay. But even Bornhold allows buyer to do what buyer does, right? And uh, so, you know, I think that's a that's really apt named children of the shadow because I've, you know, you see that they kind of go to the shadow. I mean, the head inquisitor is, ends up being a dark friend. And so I think they've just been, uh, I think that that was like a prime target for the shadow to infiltrate and turn because, you know, everything about them should be a good thing. Like, how could you say like, you know, Hey, this group's bad because they're preaching against dark friends, right? It's hard to say that out loud, but their actions are completely dark friendish, but they're so strong. No one wants to to say that they're scared of them. And, you know, I mean, when you really read into this children of light, their military organization, very strong, very powerful, um, very well trained. I think they're probably more trained than about anybody out there. And then the head of the children is a great captain of the land. There's only four great captains. He's one of them. And so I think that, you know, it's just easy pickings for him, you know, as far as the, uh, the shadow goes. And, and we see what happens, right? Pedro Nile gets assassinated. And then Asanwa, the High Inquisitor, takes control. Uh, basically through another Lord Captain, and he's in charge. He can do whatever he wants for the shadow and under the guise of goodness. Yeah. So it's pretty, I don't know, pretty interesting. I actually like the children. I like what they turn into, especially at the end. You know, like you see their fanatics and stuff like that, but with, you know, Gilad Damadred on their head, uh, you know, at the end, if you read through the books, we find out that, you know, he becomes Lord Captain and a Swordmaster, right? Yeah. And, you know, so we see that. And then, you know, he he kind of shows what the White Cloak should have been all along. Yeah. Yeah. They end up having, like, it's interesting the White Cloaks themselves as an organization has a character arc and they come out different in the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, and think about it too, like, like I'm talking about the corruption of them because Mordith was able to infiltrate the white cloaks and become an officer and nobody yeah. questioned it. Nobody yeah. was like, Oh, this guy's too crazy. This guy's like off his rocker. Everyone was like, Oh yeah, that's cool. Like yeah. what? we, we want to just cleanse the entire two rivers. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if you were to look at anybody in the whole story and say, that's a dark friend, it would be him, you know, it'd be Pat and Fane, AKA Ordeeth, AKA Mordeeth, AKA Mordeth you know, whatever he's calling himself now, it would be him. And they didn't see that. Or if they did, they didn't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. They didn't care um, because it was such a not uncommon thing to have these officers do things like this. And I think that's the whole idea that, you know, children of the shadow, like I've said before. And, um, but they end up being a really good thing. The question is, do you think that they exist beyond the end of the book? Because they're not a country, uh, they they technically technically aren't their own country. But according to the uh, uh, what Rand had him sign, right, the peace agreement, that all everything remains the same basically. And so you can't deny that they have a city and influence and this and that. So do they still exist? And if they do, what role would they really take? Yeah. Well, I think they exist um, as far as what role. I think they're going to have to try and figure that out. That's what Galad is going to have to figure out. You know, what's, 
what role do they play going forward? Are they going to be a military organization or are they going to go back to uh, kind of a religious type organization with priests and that sort of thing or what? Mm-hmm. I, I think it's they almost, should be both. Yeah. Well, it's almost like if they stay in a military organization, they would slowly convert to becoming IEL, like what the IEL are going to do, right? Where they're going to more police, yeah. you know, current groups, you know, as a military organization, or like you said, they're going to become like this missionaries of the land. But I can't see really these people converting to the way of the leaf and promoting, you know, the dragon's peace. Yeah. At this point, they're not needed because everyone, I'm sure there's some bad people out there, but everyone, you know, is a time of peace. So I think every country still has their armies that they can enforce their own laws. And yeah, I think, yeah, I don't know. Good question. Maybe they're not needed. Yeah, maybe, and maybe they kind of die out because uh, the majority of them were slaughtered, right? I mean, they all died in the final battle. I mean, you probably have a thousand men left in that were children and Galad is armless and in the hands of the most beautiful woman on the land. I wouldn't go back either. Who happens to be a queen? <laughs> who, who did he end up with? Bear Lane. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I would, yeah. I would just go live with her, man. I know. I'd be like, Oh dang, life's rough guys. See ya. <laughs> right. <Yeah>. Like, <laughs> I don't know, but, uh, but no, they have a, a really great history throughout the, uh, the third age. And, you know, it kind of comes into a, a good end with them. Uh, I think one of my favorite sequences with them is when they put Perrin on trial in front of Queen Morghese. You know, and he gets found guilty, but not of murder, but more of illegally killing somebody. And they let him go. And then they end up fighting. And uh, Perrin comes to their uh, rescue. Remember that? I always I always remember this is when Dom and, uh, Gal- Galad's fighting. And he looks around and he sees, you know the children getting killed and some of them are carrying in fear. And he's just like, this is not how it should be. The children shouldn't be like this. And uh, I always found that like, like that whole idea, like of them being so self-righteous, like he was so convinced that they were in the right, no matter what, and that light would always triumph that they could never be hurt. They could never be defeated. And, you know, for me, it was just such a change of, of uh, who the children of the light were. And it happened right at that moment. Yeah. Yeah, I think after the last battle, the, the White Cloaks aren't really needed because they evolved during the War of the Hundred Years and they were needed at that time because the land was in chaos. There's a lot of fighting. But after that, after the last battle, there wasn't a need. And I think because there's so few and like you said, Galad's going off with Berlin and there isn't a need for him. So I think they died. Yeah. Maybe they're, they, do they still have their stronghold in Amadicia? No, wait, the Sunshine destroyed it, but I guess they, they could go back and rebuild yeah, but I mean, if they don't technically, it's not technically its own nation, then I could see it just dying out like people. Yeah. And w- what would they do, right? I mean, people would mo- mostly just ignore them. And if they annoy them too much, just call the IEL to fix it, you know, <laughs> yeah. guys kill them or something. But so kind of interesting. I was just reading. So through the White Book, if you guys have this, we get a lot of our information from, uh, it's called the White Book, but it's actually called The World of Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time. It's by Robert Jordan and Teresa Patterson, but everyone calls it the white book. Um, but we said earlier, like, man, how do people put up with the children of light? Why are they so strong? Why don't they just shut them out? So it says actually right here in the very next chapter, <laughs> it says part of the reason the children of the light have thrived without serious challenge is the general lack of military organization and discipline throughout the nations of the land. Since the war of a hundred years, 
when most military science was lost, armed forces have lapsed into to very casual arrangements. The armies that do exist are in large part levied only when needed. Each levy is usually made up of a group, blah, 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 blah. So basically what it's saying is because uh, Children of Light remain a military organization 100% of the time, and they're always an army, they will always outnumber most countries' armies at any given time unless the country drafts levies of untrained farmers to put a you know, put an army on the field so they could probably win out of strength in numbers, but what does that cost you? Yeah. And so I think like, like kind of, we said before, you know, they're too big to, uh, to really take head on, but too small to really worry about, but they're still a threat. Yeah. Yeah. And a big part of children of the light, which uh, initially you don't get to later on in the books is it's a very political organization. And as you read in the story, as you move on different books, you get, you see how political their interactions are with other countries. And it's not necessarily military as much it is, as it is political. So mm-hmm. I think Pedro Nile is a, a master at that. And the organization's good at that too, is just, you know, using their political skills to remain in power. Yeah. Well, and then if they were to exist beyond the end, I mean, you know, I think Pedro Nile brought him a sense of uh, um, legitimacy right? Because of who he was. Galad Domadred would most definitely have brought them a sense of legitimacy. You know, the son of a queen, brother of the queen, you know, brother of the new queen, uh, very well respected, husband of now Berylaine, who's a queen, right? Definitely be legitimate in what they're doing. And so I think that's part of, you know, these Lord Captain Commanders too, is like they have a legitimate claim of what they do and people have to respect that. And so like you said, they can say something political, and it, it carries real weight. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of good stuff there on the White Cloaks and what their organization is and who they are. Well, we want to thank you guys for joining us here on the Fourth Taverne, a Wheel of Time podcast. Uh, we definitely love talking about this stuff and reviewing these chapters and catching you up on the latest Wheel of Time news as we move forward towards production and the release of these episodes from Amazon Prime. Hopefully, we get some more news as we go along as far as like casting. I think that's my biggest interest really right now in this pre-production phase is casting. You know, who's going to play Rand? Who's going to play Matt? Who's going to play Moraine? All that stuff. And hopefully we'll get that in the next couple months. They'll start filming. I, I know they've announced where they're going to film. It's in Europe, somewhere Eastern Europe. Can't quite remember where it is offhand, but um, so they got, I mean, they're moving forward with production. So we should see some casting announcements soon, but we love talking about this stuff and we've read the series for quite some time and we're doing both doing a reread, which is good. Cause like me, I haven't read the last couple books uh, too many times, which is once. And it's been a few years since they came out. So it's good for me to do a reread and catch up again. Please join us on social media. If you haven't already, uh, we're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, even Pinterest. Just do a search for Credible Nerds and you'll find us. Follow us. Join in the conversation. We do some polls. We post uh, comments and things about that from from this series as well as others. I mean, we're, we're big nerds. We like Wheel of Time. We like DC. We like Marvel, Star Wars, Star Trek, uh, Middle Earth. Um, Amazon's also doing the Lord of the Rings series that's going to be uh, take place in the Second Age about, is it Numenor? Oh, Numenor. Numenor. That's right. So it's going to be based in that era and about that group of people. So yeah, we'll be doing episodes on that series as well. So, you know, like I said, we like everything. If you're a fan of those uh, universes, 
and properties join us on online uh thank you for listening to this episode and we appreciate all that you do for us uh, interacting with us we are on patreon we'd like to invite you to support us on patreon we have all our episodes there and we have exclusive content that you can only find on patreon so go to patreon.com slash the credible nerds and you'll find us there you can support us there and so we want to thank you guys and may you find water and shade see you guys 